Welcome to The Vine, a plant media project podcast with your hosts, Elizabeth Sheldon and Gina Vensel. The Vine is an insightful look into the world of plant medicine, exploring the changing landscape around cannabis and psychedelics and ending the stigma through educational discussions. The Vine podcast does not offer medical advice nor condone any use of illegal substances. Consult your physician or therapist before making changes to your wellness plan and before trying alternative healing medicines. Today, we welcome Toby Leibowitz, Executive Vice President and Co-Head of Legal Affairs at Jushi Holdings, a public, vertically integrated, multi-state cannabis operator, also known as an MSO, across the U.S. The company is focused on building a multi-state portfolio of branded cannabis assets through opportunistic acquisitions, distress workouts, and competitive applications. Based in Florida, their footprint spans across states like my home state of Pennsylvania, Virginia, Illinois, California, Nevada, and Ohio. And they are made up of brands including retail dispensary Beyond Hello, flower brand The Bank, vape and concentrates brand The Lab, edibles line Tastology, medical THC and CBD line Nira Medicinals, and a value products brand Sachet. Before working in cannabis, Toby served as an associate general counsel at KLX Inc., where she played pivotal roles in the sales of its aerospace segment to Boeing for $4.25 billion and the spinoff of its energy segment into a new publicly traded company. We are so excited to welcome Toby to the Vine. Welcome. Thank you, Gina and Elizabeth, for having me today. I'm very excited to be here. Welcome, welcome. So we always like to start off finding out how our guest got into plant medicine. So hoping you can tell us how you became involved in the industry and if it was business or somewhat personal too. So um, I'm a nerdy uh, type A corporate lawyer, so I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I have some story about having a calling to cannabis. It's actually much simpler for me. Um, I was looking for a challenge. I think that it fundamentally is wrong that um, the safe and regulated use of the plant remains illegal. And then I think legalizing cannabis in a regulated environment um, will lower crime, make it use, make its use much safer through testing, labeling, childproof packaging, and um, hopefully remove the stigma attached to using it for medical purposes, um, such as pain relief, you know, cancer, seizures, glaucoma. And I also think it has a place in adult use akin to alcohol. Um, if my friends can openly say they, that they rosé all day, I don't see why we shouldn't be able to do that with cannabis, which is less addictive and harmful to the body and doesn't give you a hangover the next day, which is an added uh, plus. Um, but how did I specifically get involved? Um, it was actually very much luck. I was leaving another in-house position, also in a highly regulated um, business, as you mentioned, aerospace. And I got recruited to work for Jushi. I knew nothing about the actual operations of a cannabis company. So I called a friend who was a founder um, of a cannabis company headquartered down here. And after about 30 to 45 minutes of talking in detail about the industry, we realized it was the same company. And the founder was John Barrick, our current president. And that was three years ago. And the rest is history. So cool. And so now that you're in the industry and you, you've you've dove in and, you know, do you feel kind of like personal heartstrings tied to some of these stories? I mean, cause you're medical in Florida, right? I mean, so mostly, you know, where you are is medical. So I'm sure you're dealing with a lot of different patients, but in your position, I mean, you know, do you feel like you get to, to work or be in touch with the patients a bit, or is it more like you're dealing more on just the corporate side of things? So, um, 
definitely my heartstrings are attached to the company and to the business and the industry in general. Um, I've met a ton of wonderful people who have, some of them do have very heartfelt stories, whether it's medical or a loved one, you know, addicted to other drugs and, or drugs, I wouldn't call this a drug, other uh, drugs. Um, And I, um, and so I do, I do feel very passionate about it. And now that I know so much more about the ins and outs of the business itself, that's compounded my interest in it even more. Um, We actually don't operate in Florida, but you are right. It is um, a Florida, Florida is medical, um, we happen to be headquartered here and we'd love to eventually do business here. But right now, um, our most of our operations where we have patients and customers are in Pennsylvania, Illinois, California, and Virginia. Um, and I do, I tend to, I don't really get to interact with the customers, um, obviously directly, but there are, um, I do get to work with our employees directly who sometimes are also our patients and sometimes, and our customers. And so I get to hear their stories and I get to, you know, help um, with some of the kind of um, red tape for people to get access to it. So a lot of the stuff we're dealing with in legal, the regulations, right? So um, some of them make sense and are perfectly great with like the testing and the childproofing and the, um, you know, making sure that things are labeled correctly for, you know, transparency to our consumers. But some of the regulations just like don't make sense. And it's not really anyone's, not anyone's trying to do that purposely. It's just a new industry. And and when you write something down as a law, it sometimes doesn't in practice come out the same way. And so a lot of things that I get to do um, is interpret um, those laws and figure out if we can come up with a practical solution so that we can get the products to our patients and consumers not with, and also follow the law. So I do feel like I have a direct impact, even though I may not day-to-day be talking um, directly to our customers. So I think there's a lot of questions around MSOs, right? Like what, you know, we, people say it and like industry kind of talk about it, but, you know, we know that we can't operate and take cannabis across state lines, you know, even as patients, you know, there's not, there's very limited places that have reciprocity for any kind of, of MMJ patient. So can you tell us like our listeners a little bit more about what it really is like to, to operate an MSO and what that really means and tell us a little bit more of what that's like at Jushi. Sure, sure. So yes, an MSO is a multi-state operator, meaning that in the cannabis industry, we're a company that has the same core business. So that's um, dispensing and also cultivation and manufacturing across different states. And because it's federally legal still, we have different rules that we have to follow in different states, which is so it's almost like you're running a different business in every single state. And then on top of that, we're lucky enough to also be vertically um, integrated in some of those states. So we run also, I would put cultivation and manufacturing kind of go hand in hand. We call those grower processors, so GPs. Um, So the GP kind of line of work and the dispensary line of work, which is more akin to working in a retail space, they're very different as well. So you've got two different type of businesses happening in different states that have different regulations. but we try to find um, the core similarities in all of those businesses, and we try to create efficiencies by pulling on those similarities. And what that does is that gives us the ability to, um, you know, 
raise money to be able to use the money that we raise um, to grow, organically grow our, our operations, to build more um, cultivation and manufacturing space so that we can make, you know, a lot more product um, and we can create a variety of products that our consumers are looking for. We have a, you know, the, the, if you don't have that ability to kind of do um, kind of the R&D that's required for um, some of these, you know, figuring out what, you know, the products that people are looking for, um, you're not going to be able to give the offerings, you know, that the consumers want or need. Um, and on the retail side, um, you know, we, we have a lot of standard operating procedures that do apply across the various states. And look, I know that MSOs sometimes have a little bit of a bad you know, wrap, but without MSOs, the smaller um, dispensaries or grower processors wouldn't have kind of like a track record of what to do right and wrong in the industry. You know, we're able to kind of say, okay, here's the, here's the gray, you know, here's what we feel comfortable doing in the gray. And um, the smaller business can look and see what we're doing and they can follow that and kind of, I wouldn't say a playbook. I don't want to give them our playbook, but um, you know, they can see that what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. And for a small business to go and um, do an R do R and D or try to do trial and error on a, a business like cannabis that, you know, you can make a wrong move and um, it could be financially damaging to the, the company that could be a make it or break it for the small business where we've put that, you know, spread that risk across all of our operations. So I think there's definitely an important place that MSAs, MSOs play in the industry, um, you know, in order to help grow that industry, um, you know, bring products to um, consumers. I mean, not last about a year ago in Pennsylvania, for example, first became operational, there was a flower shortage, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it really, um, yeah. And, you know, if it wasn't for some of the larger MSOs really like step, stepping up and, and, and producing, you know, patients wouldn't have the products that they need um, for, you know, their medical relief. And um, so I do think, again, that there's definitely um, just in any business, you know, there's an important role that the bigger companies do play. And they also shift, you know, policy. So we've got a lot of, um, we have a government affairs and legislative um, division, and we're able to really like get together with other MSOs and small companies too, and fight for what we think there should be changes in the regulations or legalization, even federally, you know, we, we all come together and, and try to figure out our common ground and push, you know, legislators to what we think is the right answer. And I don't think you would have that level of support without um, MSOs. You know, I've always said that we have to have people who understand business come into this industry, right? Because um, it takes a certain know-how to run a retail shop. It takes a certain know-how to run a grow and a, a processing business. And you're right. I think that MSOs are uh, oftentimes vilified and you have sort of given some of the insight into what MSOs offer the industry. And, and that, you know, is power and money. Um, so how we have all of these social equity programs and I'm just wondering how an MSO looks at that and maybe becomes part of that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think that um, 
like there is a place for and a big place for MSOs to fill kind of the need for um, promoting social equity. I think what we do um, in in Jushi is really, and I'm going to kind of pivot a little bit and I'll come back to the social equity, but kind of more pivot towards um, diversity um, is we have the ability you know, um, to recruit um, diverse people to come work for us. We try to recruit people who um, look like the customers that we're serving, right? It, you know, we're, even though we're a big multi-state operator, when we're in, you know, downtown Philly, we want our patients to feel comfortable that they can walk into a dispensary and be with people that um, they can communicate with. And, um, and so that is kind of a fundamental thing that we've really focused on in the last year, year and a half. I think that there are definitely opportunities that we've, you know, been involved in. We've done um, laundry project where we've um, provided laundry services to people in the area, um, in Pens- in the state of Pennsylvania specifically, that um, don't have access to, you know, their, you know, to clean clothes and, and, and things like that. As far as like the bigger picture in social equity, I, I don't want to get too far into it because it's very politicized. I mean, it is. it's mm-hmm. it's very hard. Um, we're kind of at the mercy of kind of the legislator and what it is that in the various states they want to offer. I know that there are other MSOs that are creating training programs um, for social equity applicants. Um, oh, so sorry, social equity. Yeah, like applicants who want to try to get a license, and um, we'll, we'll be, you know training them. We've partnered. Jushi has partnered with social equity applicants in to obtain licenses. And I'll tell you that I'm not saying that this is across the board, but I think that it is very hard. While the while the legislator is is in, in, in and I'm just going to broad strokes it. Not you know not one one not. Specific, not focus on one specific, um, you know, legislator, but, you know, there is definitely a want to do everything. We want to go and make sure that we're righting the wrongs of the past, right? And people of color and minorities have been um, people who've been um, really punished by these draconian um, cannabis, you know, restrictive laws um, in, in our history. And so part of writing the wrongs of the past is, you know, is, is, is expunging, you know, criminal records, but then also what you're talking about, which is giving people an opportunity to come in where they might've been arrested for working or, or put in jail for or prison for working illegally in the industry. And now that we're doing the same thing in the industry and it's full and it's fine. Um, but I will say that I think a lot of um, social equity applicants like wouldn't st- while the legislature wants them to get a license, they make it the, the, the way to get the license. The bar is so high that the only way to get there is to partner with other MSOs. And so we've done that. We've partnered with um, social equity applicants and we just won a um, dispensary application, uh, dispensary, uh, you know, we're, I guess, eligible with, with the partner in Illinois um, to expand our dispensaries there. So that was like a great win. And I, I don't know, I can't say if that applicant would have won without partnering with us, but I do see kind of the, the juxtaposition of the legislators saying, Oh, we want to do all this stuff, but then we make, but then they make the regulations so difficult that right. it would be hard to comply with all of them, you know, 
without having a lot of financing and right. a lot of human resources and a compliance department and that sort of stuff. I mean, these licenses are not, you know, impossible to get. But then once you get them, you then have to spend a lot of money. You have to put a lot of money into growing them out. And so, again, you have to not only have someone with a, or, or an entity or, or applicant with a wherewithal on how to get the license, but then you have to have the financing behind you in order to build them out because it's no use having the license that you can't do anything with. And so a lot of times, if a, so if somebody can get through the application process, then building out the license is kind of then what is barring them from moving on, then they end up selling it. Who buys those licenses? MSOs buy them. So, you know, in that situation, you know, while people say, oh, you're taking it over. I mean, the social equity applicant or whoever the applicant was, they want, you know, they won in a way they, you know, they, they were able to get value for, you know, a license that they purchased. And, I, and look, that's different across every state. And it mm -hmm. doesn't, there are definitely great, you know, smaller businesses out there that run super you know, wonderful um, cannabis operations. So I can't, you know, it's definitely like different stories for it's a case by case basis. But generally, um, you know, it, it's definitely a hot button issue. And it's something that, um, you know, we're focused on We're we don't want to just go in and say, yeah, we're going to do a training program or yeah, we're going to do this. Like we've, you know, we're very data driven company. So we kind of want to see what is going on and what everyone's doing and, and pick the, path, the, the best path forward. Um, so it is something we think about and internally discuss all the time. And like I've said, we've partnered with people and we do, definitely do charitable projects, but it's a tough one. There's not a right answer. Um, for, well, know, I'm glad that you things. touched on this fact of a lot of, I think, the vilification that happens is kind of this misunderstanding yeah. that, oh, these multi-state operators are just coming in and scooping up all these extra licenses. But the important thing we need to talk about is that a lot of these companies yeah. aren't doing their job really well and are about to lose their company when you're going and assisting a lot of these businesses while they're distressed. Right. Can you talk a little bit about that and what that's like at Jushi to go in and what do you think that some of these maybe businesses are doing wrong? Is it really the money piece or are there other pieces of that, that that get them to the point where they need to be saved? Sure. Yeah. I mean, so I think that it is, it's a very difficult business to be in. It's, you got, it's not just the money. It's also you need to um, understand the regulations you're operating in. You need to understand the timelines of those regulations. I mean, we've, we've come in and, and we've bought dispensaries that are halfway built, but they're behind on the timing. They just didn't, you know, know how important the, 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 the local regulatory authority, you know, takes, you know, takes this thing seriously or didn't know how to ask for an extension or, you know, really there's a lot that goes in, not just on the legal side, but you're like kind of, you know, on the government affairs side um, and how to really have conversations with um, the local governments to make them feel confident that you're, you're going to be, you know, having a business that is, not a traditional business in their area and that their constituents are going to be okay with that. Right. So there's definitely, um, 
for someone to be able to uh, explain that and understand that, that's fine on the application process. But then once they've gotten past that, it, it doesn't become easier. It becomes harder. Right. Um, so we've definitely gone in and we've we've helped. Um, we'll go in, we'll do due diligence, we'll decide whether or not it's a good deal. And what's a little bit different than your traditional M&A is then we will go in and and and, and help as much as we can legally um, between the period of you know signing a contract and and closing because that could be months it could take months for regulatory approval we'll go in and help the businesses kind of you know keep going along and 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 and, and hitting the timelines and the requirements and stuff like that so by the time um, you know we're acquiring the business it's it's gotten back on its feet so it's not as distressed as it might have been when we came in right um but i think generally overall um in the kind of cannabis m&a world um you see you saw we saw like a lot of m&a breakups in 2019 um and and we studied them because we think obviously it's you know it, it it's a really new industry so it, it, it's like case studies that happen things that happen like right, you know, close in time are really important for us to look at and and pick apart and make sure that we either do it the same way if it's a good if it's a good thing or <laughs> we do it differently if, if it didn't turn out so well. And we saw in, in 19 that um, there were a lot of breakups that then happened in 20 from deals that went down in 19 um, because of bad corporate governance, um, decreases in valuation. I think there was a definitely um, like a, 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 a bigger view of the industry than ultimately had happened in 2020 because of legislation, which is a whole topic we can get into. Later. <laughs> um, and, and regulatory issues. So I, I think that um, really for us, we try to spend a lot of time in the due diligence process. And um, I think sometimes the people that or the entities that we're acquiring, acquiring don't love our due diligence because we go, we really go in and dig in. We don't just look at what they've put in the data room or, or, you know, their projections. We send our operations team, you know, over to um, the location and we really have them dig in. And I've got to say, we look at hundreds, we've looked at hundreds of, 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 of potential um, acquisitions and, you know, we do very few um, because we want to make sure that we're doing ones that actually, um, the reality reflects what they put on, you know, the paper. And, um, some of the best deals are ones that we never did, um, that we went, phew, (laughs) glad that never happened. Um, so I think, um, I guess kind of going back to, um, you know, taking over distressed businesses, I think really, um, just because you can get a good deal in a business doesn't mean that it fits into your model. doesn't mean it fits into your culture. doesn't mean that um, it, it's going to, in the future, do better than maybe a different, you know, uh, deal that you can do. So it requires a lot of research, a lot of due diligence, a lot of people kind of um, spending the time and digging through documents and um, talking to um, the management teams of those businesses. And, um, it's a lot of work. We have a whole team, um, of, of, you know, four or five people that that's all they do. Um, not the legal, our, our group does the legal part, but you know, it's all they do. And then they say, Hey, okay, we think this is a, a good deal. Now everybody else like dig into it. So, um, it's not easy, but it's, it's fun and, um, interesting. 
you imagine a better you? Empathic Health is a global community providing support so you can find more fun, freedom, and connection in your life. Empathic Health is my integration solution for incorporating my healing work into my daily routine. Empathic Health has given me a space to use my voice to express my thoughts and be myself in a safe place. I'm excited to get to the type of work that gives my life more clarity and joy. Helping others has done nothing but help me in return. Know your medicine, know yourself. Join Elizabeth, myself, and the rest of the community today at empathic.health. So um, you're doing business in six states, and my home state is Virginia, and their cannabis program is not yet up really up and running. So what kind of business are you doing there in a state that's not up and running? Well, actually it is up and so I know. Um, Good. I'm going this weekend. I can tell my friends. Okay. So, um, so we're Manassas. Uh, it's Beyond Hello is our brand. So come visit us in Manassas, Virginia. We run a um, vertical medical cannabis business there. Actually, um, our dispensaries are staffed with pharmacists, traditional pharmacists. Um, if you've never used the product or you see a new product that you that you're interested in, they sit they take the time to sit down and consult with you on um, what your prescription says. It's a prescription model um, and what it is you're permitted to um, purchase and what how that might help you and and what you know kind of what you're looking for. So we take a very um, customer by customer approach there. Um, and we're one of four licensees actually in the state and the state breaks it up in different regions. So we're in um, health service area two, which is Northern Virginia. And right now, like I said, we're in Manassas and then we have the ability to add five additional dispensaries, which we're in the works of doing. Um, and then I think what you're referencing is really, um, Governor Northam and, um, the legislator, legislator, um, basically accelerate, uh, ending, ending, uh, a league, like a laws against uh, adult use, um, making it like decriminalizing, um, the, the, the use of marijuana, which I commend them for doing. It was amazing. They really, it was like all of a sudden they said, this has to happen. They did it. I never seen the legislator move so quickly to do so something fast. so fast. It was amazing. And I mm-hmm. think fundamentally for like justice and equity and public health, it was such a wonderful move. And I'm just, I was just so proud to be a licensee in that state when that happened. Um, and so I don't, but the, 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 the actual program that will kind of complement the fact that it's decriminalized, um, will be an adult use program that doesn't go live until January 1st, 2024. The regulations are in the works. So we're, we're looking forward to, um, seeing those and, and working on them. And, um, so we'll see what happens there. But in the meantime, um, the state just actually approved um, flower being um, part of the medical program. So we just went live a week or two ago. I don't remember the exact date um, selling our flower brands, the bank and sachet in our um, Manassas store. So if you have any questions, who knew? I love that. <laughs> yeah. But there's no reciprocity, right? Um, D.C., I mean, that's the problem. I'm a Maryland uh, resident yeah. now. And and D.C., you know, Virginia and D.C., I guess, can go into But Virginia has no reciprocity. Right. Correct. So I believe it's, um, I don't know about Maryland, but I believe, I believe it's adult use in D.C. 
and is it adult use it in is. Maryland too? Um, no, no, it is not. It's not. Okay. And then, so yeah, you have to have a medical card in Virginia. So you'd have to be a Virginia resident. Yeah. Resident. Okay. Um, okay. But look, I mean, that's federal. I mean, that's because of the federal allelization. Um, you know, I, my fr- a friend of mine's a professor at a local university and she teaches constitutional law. She has me guest speak for her every semester on constitutional law and weed. And um, everyone shows up that day to class and then they realize that I'm a nerd and I'm talking about the Constitution. <laughs> um, but uh, but that's that's really your federal government at play, why the reciprocity is an issue, because the, uh, the state programs have to keep um the patients and the products like in, in state, they got to figure out a way to say like it, it, it shouldn't cross state lines because then once you do, it's, you know, you've got the, the commerce clause and interstate commerce and the federal government can come in and say, OK, you now, you know, have now made this not a state program. It's I mean, they could come in anyways, but but they haven't. They haven't come to lawful law. They haven't come in and really prosecuted lawful state run programs. But um, yeah, that's your con- our federal constitution at work. <laughs> well, I want to keep talking about these legal issues because we have a whole bunch of them in the cannabis industry that are definitely tough. We know that, you know, of course, like you said, you know, we're federally legal, whether we're talking about there being states that are legalized or in adult use, you know, many are still not. And, may- and there's so much gray area in between. And so definitely want to just, you know, get your thoughts about what do you think are the toughest legal issues that the cannabis industry is dealing with and facing today. Yeah. So I think just touching really kind of close the loop on that, on the federal, well, the federal illegality of it is what causes all the problems, but mm-hmm. um, kind of the crossing the state lines is, is, is what we touched on before is you have to have basically different business operations in, in, in different states because all the programs are different. So that's kind of because you can't, you know, trade across state lines and everything has to be um, done in that state. So that makes it hard. Um, I think everyone's kind of there. Like it, it, you know, I used to get questions when I first started like, well, we, we can't do this. We can't. I'm like, no, no, it's got to stay in the state. You know, um, I think everyone understands that. And that's kind of been an even playing field for everybody. But um, the, 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 the other issues really that I think hit on us day to day are you know, just the regulations. Um, you have these state regulations and a lot of times you have local regulations that sit on top of the state regulations. And so um, making sure that our employees and to a certain extent our customers understand what these regulations are. You know, not everyone is, you know, going to be able to read the, the code or the statutes or whatever and understand them. So what we try to do is we we take the regulations and we have standard operating procedures that we train on. Um, and so that everybody's on the same page that if they follow these policies and procedures then they're following our regulations, but the regulations change um, or the regulations have gray area where we've interpreted it one way. And then the state or the local and uh, governments come in and said, no, we look at it another way. And then you have to be able to be very agile and flip how you're doing things or, you know, just have a, a hard discussion with the, the government, the local agency, um, and try to work through it either legally or through a government affairs means um, and ha- and come to common ground. So those are those are hard because there's not like a there's not like a playbook for that. So you have to kind of 
really be, you know, emotionally intelligent and um, business savvy to understand what kind of the pressure points are. Um, and then the one that really um, just I feel like it, it's such low hanging fruit that I can't believe it hasn't happened is the is the Safe Banking Act. You really yeah. the limited banking opportunities and, and the limited really vendors that you can use, um, you know, to be able to I mean, it's a cat, you know, it's all cash business. Um, so that that brings a whole host of problems. Um, and then, um, you know, you still need the you still need banks to do traditional, you know, we're still required to pay taxes. We're still required to, you know, um, pay for things that we buy. You know, we still have to figure out how to get those things done when we have limited banking opportunities. Now, thankfully, we have a really um, great um, treasury um, department that has worked in banking um, and in international banking for a, a, a long time. And so they're able to really get through these KYC um, requirements. And so we have, we're able to do business with banks. Um, it's just, you know, we, keep, we don't have the traditional um, kind of access to financing. Um, so that's, that kind of grows out of this, the same thing. So we're, you know, always looking at doing deals um, in untraditional ways, but do, but keeping them within the confines of, um, what's legally and financially appropriate. So that's, that's hard to do when you're not doing it with a traditional bank, like a Wells Fargo or JP Morgan or something like that. Um, and then really um, the vendors, you know, we, 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 we partner with a lot of great vendors, but um, you know, some, some they're, they don't have a huge track record, right? You can't say, Oh, we've been in the business for 20 years, some of these um, vendors. So, you know, we're, we're having to think outside the box with our, um, kind of our, uh, you know, marketing or, you know, uh, marketing tools and our finance tools. And, you know, we even can't use, you know, some of the big four auditors. Like, so it really, things that you don't think of um, when you're getting into the business, they're really, once you're there and you see it, like, oh, yeah, you know, I know this person would definitely, I know this, uh, you know, insurance company would definitely do business with us. And you call your friend at the insurance company. And of course, that your friend wants to do business with you or your, or your colleague from a previous um, company, but then, you know, they go through their legal compliance department and they say, Hey, we can't, you know, we're, you know, we've got some federal incentive or we've got a relationship with this, with this bank and, and we're just, we're just not allowed to. And so that's difficult because we don't have our pick. I got to say, notwithstanding that there are a bunch of creative, wonderful people doing great alternative you know, businesses in this space. And it's just a matter of figuring out who of those, you know, who those people are um, versus known quantities. Well, even, you know, Elizabeth and I, you know, we don't touch the plant, you know, I mean, we deal with businesses that do, but even when we established Plant Media Project, you know, we had trouble getting a bank and we had to establish ourselves as an ancillary cannabis business so that we can do business with plant touching companies. And so we certainly see that, you know, the Safe Banking Act, it seems to keep getting passed by the House and then just sitting there at the Senate. So we know it's going to happen. You know, it's about. But once that happens, I feel like federal legalization could be soon. Elizabeth, I know you had some questions around that. Well, I just, you know, I mean, we're all staying on top of it, but I just wonder if you all as a company sort of have some sort of slated deadline in your mind. You're thinking, okay, 
this is our plan. We think federal legalization is going to happen in uh, 2026. <laughs> 2030. <laughs> Let's hope not that long. Well, I know. I think if, if um, your listeners tune into our various earnings call, they have been, call they have been quarterly. I think we get that question every like, when do you think it's gonna be federally legal? Uh-huh. Look, look, we're we're in the we look we we stay on top of things just like everybody else in the in the space, and um, we try to do our part in kind of lobbying to make it happen. Um, as soon as possible. I don't have crystal ball. I don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know either. No, I, but, I understand yeah, that. But, um, but I got to say, it still blows my mind, you know, that it's federally illegal when there are 39 states that have some form of, of legalization. And um, my favorite, and I say this like every time I publicly speak, but like my favorite stat is is right before the election, the Gallup poll um, on November 9th, 2020, did a poll and 68% of Americans favored legalizing some form of, of marijuana. And that was more people that agreed on that than agreed on who should have been elected the president of the United States. I mean, to me, it's just mind blowing. No, there's a lot of politics going on. You've got, um, you've got a push from, 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 um, from Chuck Schumer and other Democrats to pass the Moore Act. They believe that if, if you pass the Safe Baking Act, then that'll push federal legalization further further out and that would be you know just damaging for social equity and for you know the business generally um, and for the American public and then you've got other Senate Democrats and and um, and Republic and actually I think there were two Republicans that that signed on um, to that to that bill too in the house and then you've got you know and then uh, just recently the safe banking act was tacked on to the national uh Defense Appropriations Act, and I think in the House, and then I think the Senate has their own version, and we'll see what happens. So, look, there's a lot of politics going on. Um, I do think that if um, you know everyone just came out and said, "Look, it's fine," <laughs> I don't think there would be a bunch of blowback. I think I think everyone's like holding their breath for the worst, and I think in the end, when it'll be interesting to do a post mortem on on it and say, "Well, it could have been legalized then, or it could have been legalized." You know, our, our friend at NCIA always tells us it's a numbers game, Elizabeth. It's a numbers game. He's just moves the pieces around. So, yeah, it's just getting over the hump. I just wondered if companies like yours, you know, had some sort of plan towards it. Like, OK, oh, you know, no. when it happens, this is how we're going to handle it. And yeah, we're, uh, no, definitely, definitely. We're always thinking about if and when or when, when not if. Let's not say the word if. We're always thinking about right. when. We're always thinking about when that happens, what we're going to do. We're always kind of prepping. Even at, and like we do this, it's kind of like our when we are medical in a state, but we think the state might be going rack, like we're always behind the scenes, like prepping what that transition would look like, how we could keep our medical patients happy and bring on our adult use patients. I mean, or, or customers like, I mean, look, it's kind of the same kind of planning. You always have to, in your mind or in your, not mind, but internally, um, you know, what is it that would happen if, if it went, went, legal we also don't i just i i I, we're always wondering who's going to be the you know big like when it when it's federally legal and um 
you know, who's going to jump in? Like, is it going to be um, beverage? Is it going to be adult beverage companies? Is it going to be tobacco? Is it going to be the pharmaceutical companies? I mean, there's just so many things in the air. But yes, internally, we do obviously plan for what could happen. Um, we share that sometimes in um, our guidance, um, like I said, on our earnings calls, like what we think. But mostly, we don't really consider that um, the federally you know, legalization and any of those things. We're more looking at if a state's going to go, we think a state's going to go adult use or not. But, but we are, um, uh, with, with other, with other operators, we do, we are in a, in a committee that does lobby the federal government, um, to push for legalization. We all might not agree on what that should look like, but, um, but we all want it to happen. So yeah, we do think about it. Nothing, not firm enough, enough to kind of publicly, you know, discuss that, but yeah, you got to, cause that's, like you said, it's a numbers game at some point, you know, mm-hmm. the numbers will change. Right. But I thought, you know, with after like the pandemic and after cannabis was deemed essential, like I really thought, I mean, you know, there was nothing else open. There was nothing else open other than, you know, you could go to a pharmacy or you could go to a dispensary. And so I thought that like when it got to that point, that, that was really eye opening. but I'm still, you know, seeing how, you know, being from Pennsylvania, you know, we have our medical program, but there have been so many bills that have come forward. I mean, just this past week, we got a new house bill for we, adult use. We had, um, we have two bills now that are going to be from the the Senate that are both bipartisan for these bills. And it's like, you know, why are we got to have so many? Can't we just all get along and have one bill to get this thing passed? Because, you know, I'd love to see Pennsylvania get on the right side of history here and become adult use. It's been it's been challenging, you know, so much of the stuff that Elizabeth and I do, even though we only live one state away, we clearly understand all the rules and regulations that are different, even from just marketing these companies and helping them with with all different things. So we see how it is a struggle to do this, having a separate business entity in all these different states because the rules are so different in every state. And I think that that oftentimes gets overlooked by a lot of people that just, you know, take you know, headlines and clickbait articles that, you know, really just vilify MSOs in its entirety. And that's why we really wanted to bring you on. We appreciate you coming on today, Toby, because we know that there's more to it. And we know that it's more complicated than that. And when people really want to get themselves educated about understanding how the industry really works, they may be able to take a step back and realize that the MSOs are doing a lot of good as well. Um, And so we want to know, you know, in your opinion, what do you feel makes a good MSO, you know, and, and, you know, so that our, our, and, you know, why Jushi is in that, but what you personally feel um, makes a good MSO. So I, I really think, and um, it's not just me, this is what Jushi believes in, um, that I think that we think we believe that a disciplined management team that, you know, likes to win, but can also pivot and be flexible is really what makes a good MSO. Um, like I said, you, it, you could have a, 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 a big MSO um, that has a clear vision and just wants to, you know, buy out all the market share, but that might not work, you know, in, in, in every single state. And, and it might not, you know, it might not be the, the, the industry might not be ready for that. Um, that's not our strategy. Our strategy is more to be flexible and to be able to quickly react. Um, you know, Pennsylvania, you know, started a program. We, that was our first operation we went in and and we we um acquired a license a a license um entity 
And I think there was only like one or two stores open and it was in 2019. And, and now we've organically grown 15 stores. We just, and part of the reason we went into Pennsylvania is the biggest, there's a big medical uh, patient um, opportunity there. And it looks like, we don't know when, but it looks like it's always been leaning towards adult use. So it's really going in and, and, and being able to, like I said, do that research and do that due diligence and be able to say no when you have to say no to doing something. Um, and I think it's also hiring good people who share the same vision um, and providing. I mean, we like want to provide our patients and customers of all walks of life um, a variety of cannabis products to either help them medically or um, on the adult use side. I mean, if you go on our website, um, www.beyond-hello.com, you can see all the offerings we have in the different states. And um, I like to believe that we have something for everyone um, and at different price points and different, um, you know, desires. Um, and I and I think that's something that an MSO can provide. Like I said, we can do the R&D. We can um we have a, a large patient and customer base, so we really can see what they like. We do, um, uh, we do a lot of um, marketing and um, taste tests, like studies with groups of people, um, and we try to figure out, you know, what what it is that we should be doing for our customers and patients. Because without them, we don't have a company, right? And I don't think you have those. Um, all those resources and the financial ability to do all of that if you um, are in a smaller company. And, but I do, like I said, there are great small companies out there that put out great products and services. Um, it's just trying to figure out what, what that is. And, and so happy that those companies have figured out what works, but there are a lot of other companies that have tried to come in this space and, and pick the wrong, <laughs> you know, thing, and 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 they're no longer in the space. So um, I do think that you know, we provide a service to our patients and customers, which is really important. You're so wonderful. Thank you for your insight and for the education. So, how can our listeners learn more about you, about Jushi? Sure. So um, we can learn about kind of our, our corporate company is is Jushi and that's www.jushico. It's sushi with a J.com. And then our, um, all of our, like I said, retail offerings are on www.beyond-hello.com. And then I am on LinkedIn. I'm <laughs> so if I'm not, I'm kind of, you know, I'm a lawyer for a company. I'm you know, not like a celebrity or anything. So I, <laughs> I don't have a LinkedIn page. Um, and uh, it's, it's Toby, T-O-B-I, Leibowitz, L-E-B-O-W-I-T-Z. If you find me on LinkedIn, you want to talk to me, just private message me. And if you write a note um, to me why you want to connect, if I don't know you, I'll, I'll accept you. That's fantastic. fantastic. And, you know, you are a rock star to us. So don't say you're, you might not be famous yet, but, you know, we Touché. really see all the hard work. Honestly, we know there's a lot of work and we, you know, commend seeing other females in the industry. We know how hard it is to get to these positions. And we love seeing, you know, women in positions of power. They're helping sit at the table with, you know, the making the decisions for these big companies. So, you know, we just really commend you for the work that you do and for, you know, moving into this, you know, really interesting industry that's not so cut and dry as maybe some of the other stuff that you could have done, but really taking the chance and diving into cannabis is so great. And, and we're just really grateful to have you on the show today. So thank you so, so much again for joining us. Thank you for having me. And I also, I listened to a couple of your 
podcast and I'm going to continue listening. Um, and, you know, while we got ready for this and, um, and I, and I, and I do want to thank you guys for spotlighting some amazing women, um, in the industry. So thanks for being thank a you. great supporter I and appreciate and that. the great work. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Vine, a plant media project podcast. And thanks again to Toby Leibowitz from Jushi for joining us on today's show. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to never miss an episode. For cannabis and psychedelic news, visit us online at plantmediaproject.com. And to support the plant medicine movement, purchase some PMP merch from our new online store. Together, we can end the stigma around plant medicine. Mm-hmm.